0: Without the word we've received in the precious name of jesus our lord and savior we pray amen good morning church family Uh, I want to start by just briefly apologising, I have a little bit of congestion in my noses and I know that you've come to expect me to be a flamboyant and dynamic speaker, uh, but that may not be the case today, so my apologies. Uh, But I do want you to take your Bibles and turn in the Old Testament, Uh, turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 11. Uh, As you find your way there... I'm reminded of a conversation I once heard between my parents, and uh, I've just noticed that they're here, so I have to tell it truthfully. But my mum turned to my dad, and she sweetly said, Peter, how is your heart? And when I heard this, I think I swooned, and I thought, oh wow, I'm in a magic moment. This really is something special that I'm getting to witness here. I don't think I'd ever heard such a sweet, tender, and sentimental question between my parents before. I thought I'd struck gold, and so I'd better get a notebook to start taking notes. However, my dad uh, quickly dashed away all all the feathers and and butterflies that were filling the room in my imagination uh, when he matter-of-factly replied, Good. Uh, And then once my mum followed up with, And have you taken your medication?, uh, I knew that all the pretenses were gone. I realized mum was, wasn't talking about his, uh, his sentimental heart. She was talking about his physical heart, the organ beating away in his chest. Uh, because at, at this time in, in life, dad had just recently gone through some heart surgery, and so it was, a, it was a regular question to ask. So it was not some sweet moment that I thought I'd found myself in, uh, some romance movie that I could make millions from, I, it was just a, a rather mundane question as part of their day-to-day life. Now, why do I say all this as I ask you to first to turn to First Kings 11? Although I misunderstood the question, it is a very good question. Your heart is a crucial organ, and so it is good to check in on it from time to time. But there is something more important than your physical heart, and this is your spiritual heart. When the Bible refers to a person's heart, it is usually referring to their inner self, that is, their total being, their entire mental and spiritual identity, the total makeup of what it is that makes them, them. It is pointing to the most fundamental part of you. It is speaking of your mind, your emotions, and your will. It is speaking of the very depths of your soul. Paul even reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8, bodily training is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And this is because your spiritual health is so much more important than your physical life. So the question for you and the question for I, for me today is how is your heart? How are you on the inside? How is your spiritual condition? Are you spiritually healthy or are you unhealthy? Or worse yet, are you even spiritually alive? This is the question that we want to to be asking ourselves today as we come to God's word because it is the question that King Solomon should have asked during his life. It would have saved him a whole lot of pain and trouble and just like it could have saved him and been helpful to him, so it is true for us today. So let us take up God's word but first let us pray to God that he would bless his time and his word. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your great love with which you've loved us. We thank you that we can gather as your people to worship you. Lord, what a joy and privilege that is, and may we see it as such. And Lord, as we come to your word, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, so that our hearts may respond in true and faithful, uncompromised worship to you, our great and loving King. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So take your Bibles and turn in them to 1 Kings 11 verse 1, if you haven't already, but follow along with me as I read. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the sons of Israel, "'You shall not go along with them, nor shall they go along with you.'" for they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. Now it happened at the time that Solomon was old. His wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, and did not follow Yahweh fully, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incest and sacrificed to their gods. Now Yahweh was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not walk after other gods. But he did not keep what Yahweh had commanded. So Yahweh said to Solomon, Because this has happened with you, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, So I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Hear the word of God. These 13 verses we just read detail for us a pivotal point in the life of King Solomon and the nation of Israel as a whole. They come after 10 chapters <coughs> that have been laying out Solomon's lineage, his greatness, and his splendor. If you turn back to chapter 3, you can, you can see the beginning of his, his reign. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, And Solomon loved Yahweh, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burnt incest on the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar. And Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask what I should give to you. And I'm sure you know the story and how it unfolds. Solomon asks for wisdom to lead the nation of Israel, and God responds in verse 11. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to listen to justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall, nor shall one like you after you arise. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. Now if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. And then just a few pages over in chapter 10, you get a, a glimpse, or, or you actually get... Details of just how prosperous King Solomon's reign was. You see how he excelled in wealth, splendor, and wisdom. Take, for example, verse 14 from chapter 10. Now, the weight of gold which came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Now, according to the Google, 666 talents is 22.7 tons, That's a lot of gold. And 22.7 tons of gold at today's value is about $2.5 billion. And that's what was coming into the nation of Israel yearly, into King King Solomon. And And so we see that in the first 10 chapters of Kings, the tone is generally a positive tone, and it tells of how the nation of Israel is succeeding under the leadership of King Solomon. At this time in his history Israel could rightly claim to be one of the three great powers of the entire world. But then <coughs> excuse me, but then from chapter 11 a pivotal shift takes place and the general leaning is now downwards. From here on the tone is negative. And so we turn the page into chapter 11 and read of Solomon's sin and his downfall. There should be some surprise, and there should be some form of startlement in you. There is an element of shock that is right to feel as we read this account. It's surprising. For something has changed drastically since the start of Solomon's reign in chapter 3. What is it? What has changed? What has brought about this downfall for Israel? Well, at the beginning of Solomon's story, in chapter 3, we've already read that he loved Yahweh. But then in our passage, the description has changed to now King Solomon loved many foreign women. What a contrast. At the beginning of his reign, his affections are turned towards God. But here in chapter 11, as everything begins to crumble, his affections are turned away. Solomon has gone, Solomon has gone wrong for... Sol- something has gone wrong Sorry. For Solomon to wind up here because up until now everything in the story was going so well everything was going to plan Solomon was behaving as the rightful heir to King David the model king King Solomon is maybe even surpassing the first great king of Israel becoming an even greater king maybe he is the promised king that has been foretold for so long but here is the wisest man who has ever lived acting so very unwise. Here is a man who only moments ago had others looking to him as if he's the promised saviour to come, now needing saving from himself. An irony is that King Solomon wrote of these very dangers and is now unashamedly indulging in them. In Proverbs 5, verse 20 to 23, we read Solomon's own advice. If only he took it to heart. So why should you, my son, be intoxicated with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a foreign woman? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of Yahweh, and he watches all his tracks. His own iniquities will capture him who is the wicked one, and with the cords of his sin he will be held fast. He will die for lack of discipline, and in the abundance of his folly he will stumble in intoxication. To put it simply, it is hard to fathom that King Solomon is behaving this way. And so we must ask the question, what has happened to your heart, King Solomon? Well, as we walk through these 13 verses in, in, in chapter 11 before us, we will see the answer. We will understand what exactly has gone wrong with King Solomon's heart. And we'll do this by noting two contrasting points. In the first eight verses, we see our our first point, the heart of Solomon's sin. These verses diagnose for us Solomon's heart. They tell us what is going wrong with it. And as we explore Solomon's mistakes and the corruption of his heart, we will be warned not to make the same mistakes that he did. And then in verses 9 to 13, we find our second point, the heart of God's faithfulness. Here we see the amazing contrast between Solomon's attitude of faithlessness and God's attitude of faithfulness. As we witness this contrast, we will be encouraged to be men or women after God's own heart. And these two points diagnose the drastic need for us all to have spiritually healthy hearts today so that we live lives of uncompromised devotion and worship to God. So look again at the first eight verses and trace what went wrong in Solomon's heart. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, the Hittite woman, from the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not go along with them, nor shall they go along with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Verses 1 and 2 begins with condemning Solomon's actions and declaring what he has done is just utterly wrong and contrary to God's law. He He has failed to follow God's law faithfully and completely. God had instructed the Israelites in how they were to conduct themselves in life and he had given them detailed instructions to go about it. We read in Deuteronomy 7, verse 3 to 4 Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me, and they will serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. It's easy to see what Solomon has done wrong in regards to this law. But as a, as a side point, what is wrong with interracial marriage? Because we read that today and we're like, that's a bit weird. That, that is what's being prohibited here for the Israelites. And for us today, that just seems so, so wrong, so archaic. Maybe even the word, the, the buzzword racist would, would be thrown around. There, there are some today who use this verse to try to justify that interracial marriage is is wrong today. Uh, But they're misusing it because our times are different than the Israelites. They had been called by God to keep holy and pure for him in a very specific way. They had rules to follow to do this, and they were to keep themselves set apart from the world, and this was one way that they were called to do it at that time in history. It was a specific rule for a specific people for a specific time. And so it is not some abstract rule that is dated and wrong. It's not a point in the Bible that people can point to and say, see this, this is why we don't believe the Bible. It was a principle given for for a specific purpose and for a valid reason. But here for us today, the point is that Solomon deliberately breaks this law of God. Solomon goes even further though than just breaking this one, the, the general rules for the people. For there were specific rules for the kings of Israel too. God said in Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, so that his heart does not turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Here, in a matter of two verses, Solomon has violated both the letter and the spirit of the law. There's been a lot of talk in in the cricket world about the spirit of cricket. But Solomon has not only broken the rules, but he's also broken the spirit of it. He has done exactly what God has told him not to do. And notice the end of verse 2. For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. This is a repetition of what the Lord had warned way back in the law of Deuteronomy. Here, Solomon is living out the warning from Deuteronomy. This prediction has sadly become Solomon's reality. And then in verse 3, it keeps getting worse. It now specifies and catalogues how rampant Solomon's sin really is. And it does it all while zeroing in further on his heart's great problem. Not only does he have many wives, as the law prohibited, but he has an abundance of wives. 700 and 300 concubines. Again, notice what the text says. His wives turned his heart away. This is pointing to the root of his problem, the area where these actions were stemming from. (coughs) Just as a physical heart pumps blood around our bodies and facilitates our movements so too does our spiritual heart pump our desires around us, resulting in our actions and behavior. And here, his actions are wrong, but the text is wanting us to know that it is his heart that is the cause. And then in verse 4, it stresses this point again. His wives turned his heart away. It just keeps getting worse. And this time it, it goes even further. It says... His wives turned his heart away after other gods. And it gives us the reason. His heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh, his God. This is why he has been turned away, because his heart is set wrong. So what went wrong? How, how is it that this great man of God could fall so far, so quickly, in just a few pages, just a few chapters of the Bible? Solomon originally loved God from his heart. We saw that at the beginning of his reign. But now his heart has been turned away. His heart has has set a new direction for him to follow, and he's following it. That is what has gone wrong in Solomon's life. The great King Solomon has a great heart problem. For he did not give all of his heart. It was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. It has been compromised. Now Solomon may have acquired these wives with good intentions, because we know that many of them were for political reasons, and no king would come and fight a nation to slaughter his own daughter. But good intentions are never enough. The ends do not justify the means. And we could go on and on about how God does not call us for pragmatism, but instead calls us for a holy devotion. But whatever Solomon's reason for acquiring all these wives, the point is to note is that he has slipped into sin and he has disobeyed God, who had spoken to to him directly about this. Not only did he have the laws, but he had special revelation from God too. Not only had God spoken to the Israelites, but God spoke to Solomon. Look at 1 Kings chapter nine, just a few pages back. In 1 Kings 9, verse 4 to 8. God says, "'As for you, if you will walk before me "'as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uptightness, uprightness sorry, "'to do according to all that I have commanded you "'and will keep my statutes and my judgments, "'then I will establish the throne of your kingdom "'over Israel forever, "'just as I promised to your father David.'" saying, You shall not have a man cut off from the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which, statutes which I have given before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have set apart as holy for my name. I will cast out of my presence." So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Solomon was without excuse to do what he did. And his failure to honor and obey God has stemmed from a corrupted heart. Sin had taken root and little by little it had paved the way for full-blown idolatry. This is a stark reminder for the readers, whether the Israelites thousands of years ago or for us today, that sin is always serious. It will always catch up with us, and it will always have devastating consequences. Numbers 32, 23 reminds us, your sin will find you out. Sin always hurts. And as we see this in Solomon's life, I can't but stop and reflect on my own. I may not have 700 wives and 300 concubines, but I have desires and and wants that I brush aside as so-called character flaws. Maybe they're just harmless habits. Maybe they might even come under the category of of respectable sins. They're easy to excuse away because they're not big. They're small and they're easy just to to sweep under the rug. Maybe they are big, but you, you point to someone else and you say, well, his are bigger. Don't we all do this? Right now, I'm sure that there's something that you can think, well, that is a sin, but look over here. You quickly say to yourself, come to this part of my life, it's better over here, don't worry about that area. And I'm sure Solomon did this too. Look at how the kingdom is flourishing under me. My sin is nothing compared with my works. In fact, it's not even sin. Look at how we are prospering and peaceful. My, sin, uh, my, my life choices, my, my leadership has caused this. It's not actually sin. He was wrong. Dead wrong if he thought like that. Listen to me. We must flee from our tiny sins before they become trenches that we cannot climb out of. There is no such thing as an insignificant sin. All sin entangles, all sin ensnares, and all sin is deadly. If you do not listen, then you will learn the lesson that Solomon learnt the hard way. Sin never satisfies. It always leaves you wanting more, and it always hurts. And so the first four verses you can jot down as foreign woman as his first sin that sprung from his compromised heart. But the next four verses, verses 5 to 8, are even darker for King Solomon. Mark down that his compromised heart gives way to idolatry. He goes from foreign women to false gods. Verses 5 to 8. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, and did not follow Yahweh fully, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place (coughs) for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. In these verses we see that not only has King Solomon turned to foreign women, but he has turned away from the one true God. He has had his heart turned to something other than the great I Am. He has turned to false gods some of which are heinous idols. If you read the Old Testament account of these, these idols that are mentioned, go away in your personal study and do so. You'll see that how, how horrible they are. They're not, nothing worth following compared to the great I am. But for now, notice that Solomon's spiritually unhealthy heart has led to his sin spiraling out of the private sphere and into the public domain. His sin is now not only having an effect on his life, but on the entire nation's life. He is not only causing his household to sin, but now all of Israel. It's going bad from worse. It's going, is that what I meant to say? It's going from bad to worse, yeah. And isn't that often the case? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber and you'll want like an armed man. Proverbs 24, again written by Solomon, reminds us that ruin often comes without warning. It creeps and it sneaks in. And once it's infiltrated, it then multiplies and escalates at an alarming pace. It is like a garden weed that needs to be completely removed or it will grow back with vigor. And that is what has happened in Solomon's life. But not only has his sin escalated in these verses, he is also compared with King David. It's almost as if the author pauses to say, wasn't Solomon meant to be the promised Messiah, the king of peace, the one we've been waiting for all along? Something has gone wrong. This guy is certainly not the Messiah. His, he's even worse than the first guy. Even though he had all the cards stacked in his favor which is a life lesson for us. It's easy to to appear good when everything is going right for you. And when everything is set for you to do the right thing, it's easy to do it. But what happens when our heart is not set right? Well, even if you have the perfect deck dealt out for you, it will always result in compromise and sin if your heart is set wrong. Look now at verse 9. Now Yahweh, was angry with, uh, now, Yahweh was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not walk after other gods, but he did not keep what Yahweh had commanded. Here we see God's verdict on the situation. And quickly here, notice what it mentions that God is displeased at, or rather what God was angry at Solomon for. His heart was turned away. Again, the text is zeroing in. It's going beyond the outward actions and digging down into the root of the problem. And so as as we now begin to see God's response to to the situation, we turn our attention away from the stench of sin coming from Solomon's heart to now gazing upon the heart of God's faithfulness in verses 9 to 13. Notice God's response in verse 11. So Yahweh said to Solomon, Because this has happened with you, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you. So I I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Solomon's failure to love, honor, and obey God fully results in real and severe consequences for him and the kingdom. But despite all of Solomon's faithlessness, we now see God's unending faithfulness on display. Solomon has said by his actions, I have no intention of keeping faith with you, God. But now God says, even though you have shown faithlessness, I will remain faithful. Verse 12, nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Why does God act so loving and kind here? Was it because of Solomon's wealth that he had acquired? Because of his great wisdom? No, it was because of God's promise to David, it was because of God. God had said that he would raise up one of David's descendants to reign on the throne of, over the people of God forever. And as the story unfolds, we see that our God is true to his word. Not only does he deal kindly with King Solomon, but he deals kindly with all his people throughout all the ages. We know that from here the kingdom splits, but God keeps a remnant. He keeps the promised king's line intact, and eventually the promised king does arrive on the scene. And that is why in the opening of the New Testament, Matthew opens his gospel account with these words in Matthew 1 verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Lord Jesus Christ is the long-awaited king that King David and King Solomon could never be. Or any of the kings that came after them. They all failed. Jesus Christ is the promised king. He is the king of kings. And unlike all the other kings before him, he never failed. His heart is always attuned to God the Father and to, and to do his will. He is the perfect king. But not only does the true king finally finally arrive, but he arrives patiently and kindly. When Christ arrives, he endures beatings and mockings and yet still responds in long-suffering kindness and faithfulness, just like we see God acting in our passage. As an example of of this long-suffering kindness from this true king, turn to the Gospel of Luke in 23, verse 36, where we see Christ on the cross. We witness the Jews' mocking, His kingship over them, and look at his kind reply. Look at his never ceasing love on display. Luke 23, verse 36. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging there was blaspheming him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve, for what we have done, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Here is a kind king. A kind king lets undeserving people into his kingdom because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 has reminded us. Aren't you thankful that in our text, the call to take seriously the nature of sin is alongside the call of a loving and forgiving father, a kind king? And it's always this way. We're always reminded to take sin seriously, but to keep God in perspective. In 1 John 1 verse 9, we're reminded, one of my favorite passages of all time, because I am such a great sinner, I need this verse every day. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This kindness from God to preserve a line from David despite the sinful failings of man teaches us that the steadfast love of God never ceases. May we then, from our time in God's word this morning, be warned to not make the same mistake that King Solomon did. Sin is a hard taskmaster. May it be that we instead forsake our sin, however little or inconsequential it may seem. And then with our hearts attentive to God's faithfulness, his kindness, his love, his mercy, may we be encouraged to honour and obey our kind and caring God. And from the outflow of these two truths, may we live lives of uncompromising devotion and worship to our King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I call us to a commitment of wholehearted devotion to God this morning, I'm reminded of the line, prone to wander, Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Just as Solomon was prone to failure, so are we. But just as God was faithful and kind to him, so he is with us. The call to devotion to God is not a call to rely on yourself, to work harder, to do more, to to be greater, but rather a call to rely on God's grace in your life. We need a constant, a daily dependence on the Lord. It is what we need. And Matthew Henry helpfully reminds us when he writes, Nothing forms in itself a security against the deceitfulness and depravity of the human heart, nor will old age cure the heart of any evil propensity. If our sinful passions are not crucified and mortified by the grace of God, they will, ne- they will never die of themselves, but will last even when opportunities to gratify them are taken away. But let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We see how weak we are of ourselves. Without the grace of God, let us therefore live in constant dependence on that grace. Let us watch and be sober. Ours is a dangerous warfare and in an enemy's country, while our worst foes are the traitors in our own hearts. If even King Solomon could fall to his own heart, how much more prone are we? So we go back to the question we started with. How is your heart? Are you spiritually healthy? Are you even spiritually alive? Have you given your heart to the kind king, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because only in him will you be able to have a heart fully devoted to the Lord God as he has called us to have. Stop looking at your puddles of sin and thinking satisfaction is them wherein there, when there is an infinite ocean of grace to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christian, why would you hop out of that beautiful ocean and go and squander your life away in a measly puddle? Take call cool the seriousness of sin and take it to heart and then take it to the Lord God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word that teaches us so accurately and so clearly the the nature of our own hearts. Lord, help us not to follow them. Help us not to get entangled and ensnared in in great sins. But Lord, help us to to cast them off, to forsake sin, to follow Christ, to be so in love with him, so captured by his beauty, so engrossed in, in his magnificence, that we would flee from sin and that we would follow faithfully Christ. Lord, help us to do this day and for the rest of our days we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.